Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 16. Made the decision back in September or so, maybe earlier than that, to go ahead and just finish out Romans through the year. Uh, so uh, aside from the typical Advent Christmas series, we'll enter into some Christmas stuff next week. I just decided to push on with Romans. And so we're going to actually finish the book today with a appropriate theme of hope and joy. So we think about this joy Sunday, Godet Sunday, that God has given us this joy in Jesus. We're going to talk today as we finish Romans about the triumph of God's people. I love the Christmas Carol story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. I love all the iterations I've seen from Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol to the Muppet Christmas Carol to Mickey's Christmas Carol. But my absolute favorite version is 1970's Scrooge with Albert Finney, you know, the big musical. And nobody ever seems to know what I'm talking about, but it's the best one out there. So go do yourself a favor and watch it this season. And one of my favorite songs on there Now bear with me here, not because I agree with it, it's just a good song, is a song called I Hate People. It's Ebenezer Scrooge singing, I Hate People. Now here's why I love that song. Because if you read the book and you watch the movies, you know the story, Scrooge's problem really isn't with Christmas per se. His problem is with people. And the reason he hates Christmas is because Christmas is about people and family, and togetherness, things that he had missed throughout his life, and things he had grown bitter to. And so it's not Christmas, he says, bah humbug to, it's people, he says, bah humbug to. And that wonderful song, I Hate People, reveals his real problem. And we would hear that and say, oh, that's terrible, that's horrible, how could anyone say that? I certainly don't hate people. But how often does this seep into our lives, and how often, sadly, does it seep into our churches? We wouldn't outright say, I hate people, but as evidenced in our attendance and our involvement and in our association with people, even within the church, how often do we see that kind of selfish individualism sneak in to where this life is about me? Maybe even this church and this ministry, this Sunday school class, whatever it is, this is about me and nobody else. If you listen to much of pop Christianity, you might hear that message that Jesus came for me. It's true, not true enough, Pastor Matt. Uh, Jesus came for me. And no message about how Jesus came for us. You hear the Christmas season about how Jesus came for me without thinking about Jesus coming for his people. And you listen to much of pop Christianity and much contemporary Christian music, and it just drives that message home that God is in this for you, Jesus is in this for you, and there's not much message about anybody else in those songs or in that message. But we've been seeing since Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we must be in this together. 
that chapters 1 through 11 show us what God has done, but now chapters 12 through 16 show us that God has done that through Jesus Christ, but he's also doing that through his people. I've said this so many times, God saves us individually. You must make a personal, individual decision to come to Christ in faith and repentance. Okay? God doesn't save us in a group because we're involved in a group. But when he saves us individually, he incorporates us into his family, the body of Christ, the church. You can't be a Christian without being part of God's body in Christ, the church. You might have been saved as a me, but you were quickly incorporated into the we of the body of Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So often we quote that verse and we hear that verse sung in Christian songs. It's I am more than a conqueror. True, but the real thing that Paul said was we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so as we finish Romans, we think about God's work on our behalf. We think about God's work through his people, God's victory, God's triumph that he gives us. Let us not forget as we close this book that this victory and this triumph is ours together. Let's look at Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and welcome her in whatever way she needs from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaponatus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampipolatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Astrobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who work in the Lord, Tryphenea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perses, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Philiogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ, to greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, number one, I want us to see this hall of no fame. Paul closing this letter in those first 16 verses in a typical way with greetings uh, to those who are at the church in Rome and greetings from those who are with him in his missionary journeys. He mentions many names as he does in many of the letters. This might be one of the lengthier lists of names. He put his, uh, puts faces and, and names and memories into the depths that we've seen in chapters 1 through 11 and what God has done, now Paul recollects faces and names and memories. And except for a few, maybe we've heard of Phoebe and Prissa and Aquila and maybe even Junia, many of these names we've never heard before. They don't mean anything to us. We don't know them. We don't know their stories. We don't have their backgrounds. We don't have their conversion stories. They don't mean anything to us. They don't mean anything to you. But they did mean something to Paul. In verses 1 through 2, we see Phoebe, a servant of the church. And Paul says, welcome her. Do whatever she needs for you to do. Verse 2, for she has been a patron of many and of myself. That means she has given to the work of the ministry. She's given to Paul personally. Many debate whether or not Phoebe, being a servant, is actually the word deacon. I'll let you sort that out for yourself. But Phoebe here is a servant of the church, a servant of Paul, and a servant of all who know Christ. Verses 3 through 4, he mentions Prissa and Aquila. And he says, verse 4, they risked their necks for my life. And Paul says, it's not only I who give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them as well. See the wideness and the broadness of the work of these two faithful servants of Jesus who served Paul, who risked their lives for Paul, and who risked their lives apparently for many churches, even churches of the Gentiles. In verse 5, Paul mentions his first convert in Asia, Epaponetus. Doesn't mean much to us, but for Paul that stuck out as he ventured beyond the borders of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And he began going to the ends of the earth on these missionary journeys. He remembers that name, Epaponetus, and this first convert he made in the Asian province. Verse 6, Paul mentions Mary, probably not Mary, the mother of Christ. There are six Marys throughout the New Testament. You just take your pick. It's one of those Marys that belong to the church. But she was a worker with Paul. Andronicus and Junia, verse 7, Paul says, they're my fellow prisoners. They're well known before the apostles. You think about that storyline. These people were in Christ before Paul. That means they were Christians when Paul was persecuting Christians. And now they serve alongside of this one who formerly persecuted them. And Paul says, I give thanks to them. They're known to the apostles. They're known to God. I thank God for them. In verse 8, Ampliatus he says, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Verse 10, Apelles, who is approved in Christ, greet those who belong to the family of Astrobulus. And then verse 11, the family of Herodian. And then verse 11, uh, the last part, the family of Narcissus. Verse 12, Trephena and Trephosa, greet the beloved Perses. Verse 13, 
who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. I love this, who has been a mother to me as well. And then he goes on with this list of Syncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, or Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Names and people unknown to you, unknown to me, but not unknown to Paul. And as Paul recollects these memories and these faces and these names, there's comfort for Paul. There's joy here for Paul, remembering and thanking and praising God for these people. Uh, Without these people, there would have been no Apostle Paul. Isn't that wonderful to think of, that God called Paul and God anointed Paul for this particular service of ministry as an apostle, but it would not have been so without all these other people, names that are mentioned here, names that are mentioned nowhere, that without them there would be no Apostle Paul. You wouldn't know names like Sister Violet. You wouldn't know names and people like Preacher Dixon, Pastor Bruce. You might know Melvin and Kathy. You might not know Brother Randy or Pastor Darren or the other Pastor Darren. You might not know Carrie. You might not know Aaron. But I know them. I knew them. And there would be no Pastor Matt without those names, without those faces, without those people. And the good thing here today is that you have a list too. That's my list, and I could go on. But you have a list too. Generally unknown to anyone else here today, unknown maybe to me, but there would be no you without those names. No you without those people. That great cloud of witnesses that God has surrounded you with. Maybe it's a pastor or pastors. Maybe it's teachers, Sunday school teacher. Maybe back in the day it's a GA's leader or an RA's leader. Your parents, your grandparents, your friends, uncles, aunts, fellow workers, fellow laborers, warriors, sufferers, weepers. What about the people right here, right now? As we look around in this body of Christ that has been put together here at this time and this place at First Baptist Church, Dumas, what is God doing in and through them for you right now? What battles have you all been through together? What struggles have you faced together? When have you rejoiced with each other? When have you wept with each other? When have you prayed for and with each other? Thank God today for those names and those faces and those lists, these people of God that God has used and is using and will use to come alongside of you as we walk this road together, as we weep with each other and rejoice with each other and fight with each other and press on together. Romans chapter 8, 29, whom God is using to help you be conformed into the image of his son. You know, I press upon you today that if you don't know those people, and you don't have those people, 
And maybe a list doesn't come to mind. Maybe a past list, but maybe right here and right now what God is doing through this people, maybe you can't say, maybe you don't know a list like that. Maybe you don't know anybody in here today. You need those people. You need these people. And so I would urge you, I would even admonish you as your pastor, if you're not plugged into a Sunday school class, and if you're not regularly attending our small group ministries, if all you're getting from us is the Sunday morning, come in, listen, and then leave, you are not getting enough. You need the people of God. And here's the remarkable thing. The people of God need you. God is doing something through this people right here and right now, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. You simply can't obey Really, the entire last part of Romans. From chapter 12 on, you can't obey it without the gift of God's people. You cannot give yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You cannot worship him as he pleases without, as Romans 12 goes on, serving the body of Christ with your gift. Loving the body of Christ. Loving your enemies. Loving all people. You simply can't obey the entire last part of this book, this letter, without plugging in and loving and serving the body of Christ. History may never remember the names on your list or my list. History may never remember our names. No fame, no renown. But you know your list. And I know my list. And more importantly, God knows them all. And though those names on my list and your list might be imperfect, flawed, sinners like the rest of us, they are precious gifts that God used in my life and your life, and God continues to use in my life and your life. And we should say with Paul in Philippians 1-3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of them. They were used by God to make you who you are now, and they're being used by God to make you who you'll be in a billion years. So lean in to that. The hall of no fame here and now is not so in eternity because these tools and these vessels used by God will be crowned and rewarded for their faithfulness to God and their faithfulness to you. And in the ages to come, we'll be saying thank you to our God and our Savior, but we also be saying thank you to those who brought us to him. Number two, victory is at hand. One of the chief tasks of the local church and the body of Christ is to watch. Look at what Paul says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers. And again, it's that plural, brothers and sisters in Christ, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Be on guard, Paul says, verse 18. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by their smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Watch out, Paul says, all of you together. Be on guard for these false teachers and false teaching, even within the church. 
And that's one of the most concerning things in the New Testament is how often the apostles say, from within your midst. Paul says, wolves will arise from within your midst. Timothy, or Paul to Timothy says, watch out for false teachers among you. What better way to watch, what better way to be on guard than to be on guard for each other and with each other together? Because false teachers and false teaching is deceptive. Paul says they come with smooth talk. They're easy to listen to. To some part of our flesh and our brain and our logic, it makes sense. It's just not biblical. It sounds good. It feels good. It's smooth. It flatters us. But Paul says the end is death. So be wise to that which is good and be innocent to that which is evil. And he calls us to do this together. As the body of Christ, trusting your leadership, your elders, your pastors to lead by feeding you the word of God, by learning together, walking together with one another. We promise as a body of Christ that there will be no stragglers. You watch enough National Geographic or Discovery Channel, the animal shows, you know that the predators are watching out for those who straggle, those who are weak, those who are left behind. And it's no accident that Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8 that the devil who is your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what better prey for the devil than an unconnected Christian? The devil says no shepherd, no flock, bingo. That's the one I'm going after. You see the benefits of coming together in this, watching out for each other, being on guard for each other, and protection and love and nourishment and family. Sometimes this is awkward, isn't it? You might enjoy a TV preacher. You might be enjoying a radio preacher. And it's always fun when someone comes and wants to share a preacher or a teacher with me and I know them to be false teachers or at least on the verge of being a false teacher. And I have to say to that person awkwardly, you ought not watch them or listen to them. Maybe you've had to do that with a family member. You book their reading or a preacher or teacher so-called that they're watching or being influenced by. And you have to say, don't listen to them. Don't watch that. Don't listen to that. It's awkward, isn't it? But would we steer away from telling our children not to touch a hot stove or not to wander into traffic? Or would we say to someone, it's okay to put your life in danger. I don't care. I don't want to make this awkward. No, in love, we pull people back. We rebuke false teachers and we lovingly help each other see what is the right way. That's why we must have solid Sunday school teachers, preachers of the gospel, those who will lead us into truth and away from error. This is the gift of God to his people, and it helps us to obey this very task of watching out for each other, these false teachers and false teaching. But it's not all bleak. There's a wondrous promise here in verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's not all darkness and division and fighting. There is a God of peace who makes a promise to his people 
that he will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, if you remember earlier in the book of Romans, there have been these little allusions and echoes from Genesis all throughout. It started out kind of vague in Romans 1 when Paul was talking about idolatry and how we turn away from the creator and we serve the created things and birds and animals and creeping things and how Paul is using that language from Genesis 1 about birds and animals and creeping things showing us that we've turned away from the creator and we're worshiping, Paul says, the the creature rather than the creator. In a not-so-subtle way, in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about Christ being a new Adam This new Adam, part of a new creation and a new people of God. All the way back to Genesis, tying the story back there. And here we have it once again. Around this time of year, you know Genesis 3.15, don't you? I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise his heel, he shall bruise your head. And I hope you've been around long enough to know that we call that the first gospel. The first good news, that right there after the fall, God makes this promise of redemption in Jesus Christ. And you say, where is Jesus Christ in that? He's all over that. That the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And then we come to Romans 16, verse 20, and we read, God will crush Satan under your feet. And this is the storyline of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. Because when we come to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the apostle said it is none other than that serpent who is Satan, who is thrown down to the earth and defeated. And in almost this passing comment in Romans 16, 20, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Did you hear what he said? Under Jesus' feet? No. Under the apostles' feet? No. Under the feet of the martyrs? No. God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, of course, the victory belongs to Jesus. It is Jesus, the seed of the woman, who has already crushed Satan. But remember the beauty of the gospel we've seen in Romans. The beauty of the gospel is that we sinners are brought into Christ by faith in him. So what is true of him is true of us. His death is counted as our death. His resurrection is counted as our resurrection. His righteousness is counted as our righteousness. And listen, his triumph and his victory over Satan, death, and hell is given to you. So that as he crushes Satan... You have crushed and will crush Satan. Romans chapter 12 verse 9, Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 shows us that serpent being thrown down with all of his angels. But then Revelation 12 verse 11 says, they have conquered him. They have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Who is the they? Well, first and foremost, the martyrs of the church who John is speaking of, but all believers in Christ through all the ages. Because we are in Christ who has crushed the serpent, we will also overcome Satan. Do you long to be rid of your sin? 
and your temptations, those weights that pull you back? Do you long to serve and love Jesus with every part of your heart and soul and body? Do you grow tired of the suffering and pain of this fallen world? Christians, today you can rejoice because in Christ you are more than a conqueror. Satan is already defeated, crushed beneath the feet of Jesus. And that victory and that triumph is yours in Jesus by faith. And it comes with a promise. Soon and very soon, God will crush Satan under your feet. It's worth noting in verse 20 that this your is plural. Again, this is a collective promise to us believers. As the body and the family of God in Christ We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there's some weight to that. It gives weight to what we do every Lord's Day. It gives weight to what we do as a church. Because this isn't just some uh, religious cultural exercise that we engage in once a week to satiate some part of ourselves that, that needs to feel religious or spiritual. No, what we do together... Day in and day out as the people of God, especially on the Lord's Day, what we do here together is a steady, rhythmic reminder to Satan and to all the forces of darkness that his doom is sure. Amen. If I could quote the great theologian, Deion Sanders, we coming. You like that sports reference? I wouldn't know that except Zane bought the glasses this week. And I was like, what does we come and mean? He told me. And it fits. God in his providence gives me a sports illustration today. We're in this together. To the very end and even beyond. So we might as well learn to love each other. We might as well learn to serve each other. We might as well learn to give to each other. We might as well get used to being with each other. And I want you to hear me today. If that thought is not precious and beautiful to you, you've missed it. Somewhere along the line, you missed what this is about. Jesus saves you. You must come to Jesus. But he makes you part of this. And if you don't find joy and blessing and gratitude in this, you need to go back to step one and find Jesus for yourself. This is not just about you and your victory and your triumph. It's about this people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus as his holy bride, called to be a mighty army with Jesus as our captain. To serve together, to stand together, to fight together, to love each other, to give to each other with this promise that victory is at hand and it's already ours. Paul in verses 21 through 23 switches where he was earlier greeting people in Rome. Now he sends greetings from those who are with him. Verse 21, it's Timothy. Familiar name. Lucius and Jason and Sosipater who are not familiar names. We're introduced in verse 22 to Tertius, who apparently wrote this letter. In other words, he was the scribe for Paul. Verse 23, Gaius, who is hosting Paul, Erastus, 
and Quartus. People who are with Paul. So just as we were reminded of those whom Paul thanks and those whom Paul remembers there, he now thanks those who are with him here. Another reminder in this inner circle that Paul did not do this alone. Paul could not do this alone, and neither can you. And so if you want to tap into God's power for your sin, your temptation, your victory, your triumph, your walk with Christ, you say, I want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, I want to be a living sacrifice for God, then use this source of power that he's given to you in the church, the family of God, because you can't do it without each other. Lastly, go in God's strength. As Paul closes the letter, he does so with a second doxology. Remember the first doxology in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. We say part of that every Sunday. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here's a second doxology. So as Paul writes, and now he finishes chapters 12 through 16 on what God is doing through us. He ends with another doxology, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul alludes once again, as he did in chapter 1, to this mystery. This thing that was revealed to the prophets, little by little. But like a great mystery, it was only being discovered one page after the next, after the next, after the next. But Paul says, now in Jesus Christ, as he did in Romans chapter 1, it's all been opened. The gospel of God about Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, what is our source? What is our power? What is our energy behind all of this? Verse 25, it is that you might be strengthened with the strength of God according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's strength, God's gospel, God's Savior, long hidden, now revealed, and you know it. And Paul says, let this be your one purpose. There in verse 26, to bring about the obedience of faith. As we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we proclaim salvation and justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, we then call those same people who have professed that faith to then obey according to that faith. And Paul says, What God has done, verses or chapters 1 through 11. What God has called us to do, verses 12 through 16. If we've been justified by faith alone and Christ alone for God's glory alone, and the question comes, so what? What do we do with that? Well, by that mercy and by that grace, chapter 12, verse 1, give your lives as a living sacrifice to God. How? By living for him, by serving his people, by giving yourself to his people. By thinking of that list in your head and the list in my head. Coming together as one triumphant army to move against the forces of Satan and hell. And Jesus makes us this promise in Matthew 16 verse 18. I will build my church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm in this with you. As your pastor, I'm in this with you. Are you in this with me? Furthermore, are you in this with each other? And if the question is, do you want to crush Satan? And everybody should say, yes, I want to crush Satan. You need me, and I need you, and without each other, ain't nothing neither can do. Aretha Franklin. Verse 27. Me with you, you with me, us with each other. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to encourage you today to think of Scrooge and swing the entire opposite direction. If you need to be visited by some ghosts, we'll pray for the Holy Ghost to visit you. You need to learn to love God's people. We need to learn to love God's people. I think it's absolutely remarkable that Paul spends that whole first section of Romans on the depths of God, what we call this series. And if you remember, every single part of that first part of the series was the love of God, the liberty of God, the freedom of God, whatever, all this coming from God for us. But then there's that change in chapter 12, and it becomes very horizontal and very practical. And listen, there's a lot of pastors and a lot of churches and a lot of theologians who love to spend a lot of time in Romans 1 through 11. And get a lot of knowledge and a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine. Good, beautiful stuff, remember. But when we turn the page to chapter 12 and it becomes very practical and hands-on and me and you in this together and living and loving and humility and submission and who wants all that? But that's what God has called us to. And if we're going to find any beauty and any glory in the first 11 chapters, those are fleshed out in the last five chapters. And without those, the first part doesn't mean anything and vice versa. God has done a remarkable thing through his son, Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone is the beauty of the gospel, the center of the universe. But if we truly know that and we truly own it, then we will love God's people. And we will serve God's people. And we will gather with God's people. And we will give ourselves to God's people. Because we're in this together. And on that day when God crushes Satan under my feet, we'll all be crushing Satan together. Why don't we start now? Let's pray. Thank you, our God and Father, for your gift of the body of Christ, the church. We thank you for each other. And God, as we remember those names and faces, believers, family members, pastors, teachers, leaders in the past, who have made us who we are today in you. And as we look around today and we think about how you're working in your people right here and now at First Baptist Church Dumas, Help us to rejoice and give thanks that you've not put us in this by ourselves, that you've given us a family. 
and that you've promised victory to this family. And so God, together today, point us as a family to you. Point us as a family to the victory and the triumph that we have in you. And every time we think about the goodness and the beauty of the gospel that Paul expounded for us in those first chapters, help us to then turn and put that into practice as we love and serve and give to each other. God, bind us together in that spirit of grace and peace and unity and love that we might together crush Satan and see that victory and triumph you have for your people. Help us to do that. Help us to love each other. Help us to serve each other. Help us to fight with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.